Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. The brightest conversation in Hamilton Radio requires the brightest conversationalist. And uh, there's someone we'd like to turn to with some regularity because he does a great job at this. He is the co-host. He's the guy behind. He's the, he's the face. He's the star. He is the, he is the guy that makes the Hamilton Network work on Cable 14. His name is Mike Fortune. Joins us now. Mike, how are you? Always too kind, my friend. I'm doing well. You saw today, Scott? I am. You know what, Mike? I am doing well today, but for a, a, a weird reason. Let me tell you, um, before I got into the station today, for much of today, I was out at my... So my parents both passed away in the last year and a half or so, and we've been working on selling their condo and cleaning it out and doing all that kind of stuff. That's not really all that fun. But as we've been cleaning it out in their storage locker in their condo was these two giant tubs of photos. And so today, as I was there cleaning some stuff out, we got into this and I stumbled onto this cache of photos of my parents as like photos I've never seen before ever from when they were young, when my dad was at Royal Military College and when my mom was in nursing school and before that. And I'll tell you what, it is a bizarre, I don't know if you've ever done this. I mean, I guess I'm guessing many people listening have. It is a bizarre thing to see your parents' life before you were even in the world. When they were carrying on their own life with their own interests and their own friends and their own pursuits and everything else, and you weren't even a thought yet, it's, it's, it's bizarre, but it's also fascinating. It's amazing. It's inspired. I don't know. There's all kinds of words that, I, that were going through my mind today as I was looking. Yeah, I agree with you, Sky. You know, it's because we've only known them as one way as yes. our parents. Yes. But to think that, yeah, you know what? They went to public school. They went to high school. We we weren't even a thought nope. on, on their radar. And uh, for you to be able to go through that uh, at this time, I think that's pretty cool for you to get a uh, more of an understanding and to to reflect. And I'm sh- I'm sure it's brought some smiles to your face and. Uh, uh, giving you some more things to think about too. Well, yes. And one of the really funny little envelopes, cause they were, my, let's put it this way. My parents were both incredibly organized. They knew that at some point we were going to stumble on these. And so they were very good to have them not only in albums that we could easily follow through, but also some were just in envelopes, but the envelopes were marked. And one was with my mom's handwriting. So this was a sanctioned envelope, all right? This is a this is not one that we found somewhere we shouldn't have. This was a mother-sanctioned envelope. It was four or five pictures of my dad prior to meeting her <laughs> with the girlfriends that he'd had. And I looked at this, and I'm thinking, because my mom wasn't worried about it. This was long in the past. I'm thinking... Any one of these women could have been my mother. Yeah, yeah. Which is very bizarre. Did you did you get a sense of, of what your dad's taste was then? Were, were they all kind of similar looking? Did they all have something a feature that that they you know was similar? Uh, I'll say this: um, my, my my dad was um, my dad my dad he was okay with the ladies. Most of them were like debutantes and, uh, and were, you know, like there weren't a lot of, now this is back in the, you know, 1950s. There, there weren't a lot of bad looking women in <laughs> that he dated in that time. He did okay. And then this is true. This is true. And the fact that, that they, they date everything and they're organized, your, your parents sound exactly like mine. And it's funny you mention that because just I don't know, a week or two ago, I was at my parents' house and they're going through 
all these photo albums. They must have like 24, 25 photo albums. Uh-huh. And mom's like, oh, do, do you and Tracy, you print off your photos? And I go, no. And it, I, I just point at the phone. I go, all our photos are in this. And, and there's something sad about that, that, uh, you know, taking the picture, waiting for it to be printed off, coming home and putting your favorites in a photo album. It's just not the way we do things nowadays. But I'm so grateful, I'm sure as you are, that I know I'm going to have those opportunities to, to look through those at some point. Uh, my big question now, and this is what part of today was to it. And again, again I, I'm betting a lot of people listening have gone through the same thing because parents have passed away or whoever else. I don't know what to do with all these. I can't possibly keep all these photos because what am I going to do with them? And then am I just setting my kids up to figure out the same thing? What am I going to do with all these? So I kept a number and I took a bunch of photos of the photos. So I have them in my phone, but even though they had whittled it down and it's just a, 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 well, literally a snapshot of their life. It's like, my goodness, it's what am I what am I, if we had done what you just said, if we went out and took all the photos that are on our phone and printed them out and got them made, <laughs> what am I doing to my kids? What are they mm-hmm. going to do with those at some point? They don't want to know every, especially the way we take photos now. They don't want to see every meal I had on vacation. <laughs> yeah. It, it, again, very similar conversations that we've had my parents, because there, there's a lot of black and white photos. We even have photos from my grandparents uh-huh. and now they've passed on. They, they have a lot of meaning to my mom and dad from both sides of the family. But to me, unless grandma and grandpa aren't in the photo, I don't know who these people are. So yeah, they're kind of back and forth with this. Well, do we leave them for Michael to go through or do we start to part with him? And that can be a very emotional and tough moment, I think, for a parent mm. too. Of, of, there's so much family history here, but does, does Michael, do the grandkids, do they really truly care about all what happened 50, no. 60 well, years ago? Probably not. I think you care about the history. I, what, one thing, and we got to take a break here. One thing that I have found and I've created work for myself because this is what I do. I find things that are going to make more work for myself. <laughs> My, I think it was great, great grandfather. I, I, I'm not entirely, but I think it was great, great grandfather built a house in Mimico that was where they lived years ago. And in the pictures, it is the only house that you see. It's sort of standing there by itself. Mm -hmm. Well, I thought with my brother-in-law standing there today, I thought, I wonder if it's still there. Well, we looked on Google Maps or Google World or Google Earth or whatever, and the house is still there and looks exactly the same. And I thought, I got to keep these now and track down the people who own that house because I don't need the photos. But I bet they would love to have the photos of the people who built the house back in the year that it was built be kind of a yeah, cool thing to hang up in the house. Pretty fascinating stuff to be able to do that. And uh, I, I think what you are going through, so many other families will too. And uh, it's neat to go, to go back. And I know we got to go. If you, uh, so many people out there who are listening, if you have the opportunity, go through the photo albums with your parents, understand, ask a lot of questions. Because as you know, and I'm down the road, I know as well, Scott, you won't have that opportunity to get any more detail on those photos. No, it's, uh, it's been, it's been, it's been really interesting though, as I mm-hmm. say it. And again, I'm guessing that, you know, I'm talking about my family and nobody cares, but I'm guessing that for people who have gone through this themselves, it's like, it's just so strange to see your dad as a five-year-old or a yeah. six-year-old or a whatever. And you go, you know, there was life before I came along. Mike, I don't know if you watched the uh, NBA game, the Lakers game the other night when LeBron James became the NBA's all-time leading scorer, 
passing Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. We're not talking basketball here. It was just that moment. There is a photo taken of the moment that he is rising up to take the jump shot that sets the record just as the ball is leaving his fingers. And with one exception, with the exception of one person who I believe was Phil Knight, I think someone pointed that out, who was the guy from Nike, but every other person that you can see in the background, in the entire crowd at the Lakers game, has their cell phone out taking their own photo or their own video of this. And it dawned on me as I'm watching this, are we so concerned about capturing every single thing in our lives? Speaking of photos before, are we so concerned now with capturing every single thing that we are missing life happen? Oh, I believe so, 100%. And, and I think it's a real shame how our society has started to, to slip away. I, I know I have been guilty of it a little bit, not as much as my son and daughter when we go out to an event who always have it. And yeah, we, we aren't. Uh, first off, I don't understand why you want to have your point of view on your own phone because, and then what you, you want to show people really don't care. There are hundreds of cameras around nowadays. Uh, you don't need it, but we are in a society now where I guess we want to be able to pump our chest and say, look what I got, look where I was, look at the angle, and I don't understand it. And and we are missing so many other things that are going around us because now we're all living our lives on a four-by-two-inch screen as opposed to just sitting there like, like, the, like the gentleman was who was just sitting there and truly enjoying things. Uh, it, it's I, I don't know what why this has all happened and why this is taking off the way it is. It's a real shame in, in, in my mind. And well, I know the photo you're talking about. I know the moment. Yes, I was watching the game. I, I think that you may have struck on one of the issues here, which is I have to have it on my camera so I can put it out personally on social media so I can say I was there in order for it to be proof that somehow I achieved something. I guess there's certainly something to that, but you're, the point that we are spending our life, why would you go and spend what had to be an extraordinary amount of money to get tickets for that game and then watch it through a two by four screen when you could watch it through the eyes of someone seeing the entire moment. Again, I just, you knew that it was going to be captured on film. You knew the game was on TV. You knew that you were going to be able to see this. And I just, as I say, and, and this is just one example. I mean, think of all the things, people going to a birthday party of your kid's birthday party even, and you don't see any of the party because you're watching the whole thing through a phone or through yeah. or Disney World on a family trip. And I've, I'm guilty of that one where you do everything. It just, it, it strikes me that we're missing experiencing anything in order to get the experience locked down. We're, we're, we're missing so many of these experiences and not able to recall them um, because we haven't watched them and we haven't been intently watching them uh, for what it is in the moment, because oh well, we just got it on our phone. Because these social media uh, conglomerates, uh, they make it so uh, appealing for the kids to to have how many likes you're going to get, how many retweets do you have, uh, what what is how, how many engagements have you had, and and they are doing something to our our kids and and those who who are a little older, uh, where it's like oh look how many people are paying attention to me. 
because this is this is some clickbait all of a sudden. And you I, think, I think it's, it's all about really boasting? Sad that uh, you know the, the big three or four, whatever they are—Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat—and maybe I'm missing something—are allowing our society to uh, to turn the blind eye to things because we're missing so many other things that are going on around us, all for for likes and engagement purposes to keep kids glued to a screen for their advertisers. You, do you think a, a lot of this is all about boasting? Oh, hands down. But how, how many times do you have you, like, I, I know I'll talk to my kids and they'll be, oh yeah, look at it. I just put this up there. Oh, look how many likes I'm getting. And this is really cool. And so-and-so started to follow me because of it. Those are some of the conversations I have with my kids, or I hear through the bedroom door um, when when our kids are talking. You know, I go and I pick up, uh, my daughter goes to volleyball, I pick up a friend. They hardly talk in the car anymore. They're sitting right next to each other, but they're all looking at their Snapchat, and they're snapping back and forth to each other. It's like, guys, well, you're missing everything around you. It's, it's a, and they don't have the, the their, their brains and minds haven't matured enough, or they've been rewired, and it's probably at the parents' fault too for allowing it, um, to to just have all this in front of them, their minds never get to settle or shut down because it's constant activity. They always want to show something or be part of something, and it's, it turns into a popularity contest. Yeah, as I say, it, it it's odd to me. I get that. I get that you want to be, uh, you want to be able to show where you were or show that you're a big deal or sh- something like that. I get that whole thing, but it's odd to me that you would go to an event. And then not watch it because you're watching a screen when the experience, the whole reason of going to these things is for the, well, maybe it isn't. I was going to say the whole reason to go to an event like that, to go to a game like that is for the experience. Maybe the whole reason to go to that game is not for the experience. Maybe it's just so you can say you were there. I don't care if I saw it. I just want to be able to tell my friends that I was there. First, uh, f- first home opener for the Toronto Raptors after COVID. So what, a year and a half, two years of no basketball in person. My daughter and I were fortunate enough to secure tickets. What does my daughter have me doing? She goes, Dad, I want to watch this live, but here's my phone. Can you record everything for me so I can watch it back later? And I'm like, really? She's like, yeah. So Why not set the know, PVR? Like, like dad does. Instead of saying no, I uh, okay, sure, duh. So I recorded it all, and then a couple of days later, we're, we're, I go, oh, have we watched the video back? Have you watched? She goes, oh no, I found it on YouTube. It's okay. I'm like, why didn't you have me do all this then? It's, it's so they can have it, I guess. And to your point, just say that they were there. I don't know. I think that's a big part of it now. I think it's just to say. It's not about the experience per se. It's about the, I can say that I was there. I mean, like, I, I'm not going to lie. When I have gone to certain events that I know, sports events or whatever, sometimes I will set the PVR on the TV just so I don't have to do what we're talking about because then I know that even if I miss something, I can go back and I can watch it again. Or if something amazing happens that I didn't get a great view of, I can watch it on the TV later on, on the PVR. I don't want to be that guy because I've learned my lesson. I learned my lesson. We went to Disney World as a family a while back and I realized how often I was looking at everything through the lens and realized I don't want to do that. I want to experience it as opposed to just recording it for posterity. You remember when you and I were kids, and we're we're at about the same age, we give give or take a few years. When the only memory we had of a sporting event was that ticket stub from a Toronto Blue Jays game in the bleachers. Yeah, but the problem there, Mike, 
They don't sell tickets anymore. You have to download a piece of paper. That would, to me, that would actually solve part of this problem. If you, instead of having an 8 by 10 printout from your computer, if you had a ticket stub that was torn, that you could show people and go, see, I was there. But now you can't because they don't have that. You have to have the video. Yeah, some of my best. I have more memories of the 80s and 90s of going to baseball games and looking at my scrapbook and some of those tickets that I yep. still have, as opposed to games that I went to, you know, pre-COVID, you know, six or seven years ago, where I don't have a ticket, and I don't even really remember being there. I it, wish they had ticket stubs so badly. My, I still have the ticket stub from the first date I went on with my wife. I wish my son and I years ago mm-hmm. went to the Bautista bat flip game. We don't have a ticket stub from that because we had the printout. I wish we had a ticket stub from that. I would have taken a printed a picture offline, put the ticket stubs in the frame. Boom, there you go. You got something to hang on the wall. I'm not going to hang a printout for my computer with a bunch of ads on it for my ticket. That's stupid. No, it's, 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 it's a lost art. It's it is. something that I'm surprised these companies haven't. Like, I understand, you know, we're not printing fees and we're cutting down costs and all that. But, you know, if As they an option. properly, they could actually spin it and probably make money, uh, yeah. more money off of having ticket stubs kicking around again. As an option, sure. Would you want to print it off or for two bucks extra, we'll mail it to you with a ticket stub? Yeah. And yeah, I, you know what? People will take the ticket stubs. I bet you they will. A lot of them, I bet you they would. And perhaps, perhaps less people would be filming what they're, they've paid yeah. hundreds of dollars for I agree. to go see and they'll watch with their own eyes. I agree. And the artist you would think would like that because they don't necessarily want all that stuff online because of, co- of copyright stuff. Anyway. Exactly. Uh, Mike, earlier today, about four hours ago, according to Twitter, uh, Cameron Croach, who's a uh, Ward 2, the Ward 2 counselor for the city of Hamilton, put a post on Twitter, photo of him uh, sitting surrounded by NDP signs for Sarah Jama, says, while we wait on voting day to be announced for the Hamilton Centre by-election, I want to make it clear I'm strongly supporting my good friend Sarah Jama. There's no one better to represent me at Queen's Park, and I know she'll be an amazing advocate for Hamilton. And it reminded me that back um, prior to the last or two, I guess it was the last federal election, um, we had Maureen Wilson and John Paul Danko uh, on the stump with Philomena Tassi for the Liberals. We had uh, Jason Farr helping uh, Chad Collins run. We had uh, Sam Marula, who at that time was on council, was Collins' campaign chair. Tom Jackson helped out. Narinder Nan posted photos of her Campaign ballot for um, Matt Green of the NDP. We seem to be having more and more local politicians, councillors, dipping their toes in and showing allegiances and alliances with federal and provincial politicians of certain parties. Is this healthy? Is this a good thing or is this something we should be suggesting they stay clear of? Well, I guess it all comes down to each individual's attitude and perception on things. Um, you know, when if you you're in the political arena like you are, you want to be able to show your your colors and who you support. Uh, you may be dividing uh, a little bit of your or a big part, depending uh, of your constituency base. You know, the next time the polls come around. But again, I think it's. You know, going back to the social media that we were talking about earlier, what what can we do to to help the candidate of our choice 
to get them over the hump. I have, you know, 10,000 more followers and maybe that will help get the word out. I truly believe it comes down to each individual's um, want and need. Are we going down that rabbit hole and slippery slope? Listen, that's that's something only someone I think who's running in a political race can truly answer if it if it helped them or or was a disadvantage to them, uh, depending on, on how their outcome is. Personally, if, if I was to be running, I, I don't know if I would be endorsing or backing anyone uh, for the fact that if I'm representing municipal, I'm just going to be worrying about this. Whoever comes in, because at some point uh, you're going to have orange, blue, red, or, or potentially green, you might have to be working with that person. And if you've already shown your, your hand pretty quickly, will that cause a little bit of friction that's, down the road? Well, that's, that's something that you're going to have to try to overcome and build potentially a new bridge. Uh, but that's the thing, forward. Mike. If I'm the candidate who's running, so in this case that, that we saw today that brought this back up, if I'm Sarah Jama, who, Jama who's running for the NDP, I have no problem with a politician supporting me. I think that's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, just as, as I say, just as Matt Green or just as Philomena Tassi or just as Chad Collins or any of the others who have run, I'm sure loved that they had the support of the local mm-hmm. politicians to bring their supporters to, to, to the fore. However, it's the other way that I wonder about. Do we want our local politics that is by law nonpartisan? We do not have political parties in municipal politics. You're not allowed to be running a slate of NDP or liberal or PC candidates. Do we want to infuse our local municipal politics? Do we want to infuse City Hall with partisan politics? And I, I, I have a hard time thinking that that is in any way a good idea. Uh, yeah, we, we are in a society right now where everyone can get up in arms pretty quickly. Uh, it's, it's, it's unfortunate how politics has changed so much uh, with, with a lack of respect, uh, uh, the shouting up to people, the, the shouting down to people. And listen, you know, if, if you're a politician, this is what you want to do as a constituent. I don't really read too much into that. Does it give me a little extra information on the person? Sure. Will it sway my vote? Uh, I would have to say it, I know it has actually in the past. So, uh, again, if our local politicians feel that this is necessary, however, I, I do think, you know, in the world of politics, there are also egos if I show that I'm backing so-and-so, again, I'm going to have more people looking and talking about me as well. And it hopefully will bump my, my status up uh, the ladder potentially. Because I think in politics too, as, you know, as the saying somehow goes, I don't care how you're talking about me as long as you're talking about me because that's the name that people might remember when you have to go put the X on the ballot. When you are, and here's the problem I have with it, and I don't care what party you're going to support. If you are a municipal politician, you are at some point going to need the help of the province. You are going to need the help of the province. They, uh, you, are a, you are a functionary of the, the municipalities are a creation of the province. And I'm not sure that it's ever going to be all that helpful to have more, well, to have a whole bunch of people on any council that are showing their hands and saying, hey, you know what, party in power, I really can't stand you. I really don't like anything you do. I think that, to me, I think politics, you have to be a little more, 
um, what's the word I'm looking for? You have to be, you have to be able, as you said, to work with other people. And if you are coming out in either clearly in favor of the red party, as many did, or in favor of the orange party, or in favor of the blue party, it doesn't matter if any of those, if the party that wins, if you've come out strongly in support of the party that doesn't win, I just don't know how you're helping your city. I don't know how you're making it easier for the party that wins to think favorably upon you and your council and to want to help you more. I think we're so far better off for our city councilors to stay neutral or as neutral as they can be. Uh, and I agree with that. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I talked to some some former candidates of, of the last election and, and you know, now the election's done. They've been able to sit back and relax and say, OK, and some of them are saying, man, you know what, Mike, I actually dodged a bullet. Thank gosh I didn't win <laughs> based on some of the things that are going on. But but during that phase, it's it, they want to be able to to just be able to, to showcase. Here's all the people that I know. I have everyone support. Be part of my train. Be part of my Instagram feed. Be part of be part of the trend that we are trying to to get going here. And at that municipal level, you know, another thing candidates were saying, so many people out there in, in this city and beyond don't understand how our elections work and don't understand how our government works. They don't understand there's federal, provincial, and municipal. And and if they get a sense that, well, you know what, they don't understand the municipal side, but they understand the provincial side, oh, and they, they voted orange, see if I can get some people on my side to help me out that are orange, just so I can get an extra couple votes in potentially. I always hope that it doesn't end up biting us because we end up with a lot of people who win seats. I mean, look, we, we right now we have two conservative members uh, serving who won and are from this area. But you know what? By the next election, the conservatives could lose. And you know what? If you've tied your cart to that horse, it could end up hurting us. If you've tied your cart to the r- liberals horse right now, they're not doing too well provincially. Um I'm not sure that that helps. I, I, I mean, look, politicians are allowed to do what politicians are going to do. Politicians are um, permitted to align as they will. I know, I mean, look, they, they may not announce their political allegiances, but they have them. We know they do. I just don't know that it's the wisest thing always to have a council that is all in, in a time, as I say, in a, in, a, in a province that doesn't have political affiliations officially in the municipal level. I just don't know that it's all that helpful. I really don't. Yeah, it, it, you know, I, I know in, in that world, it's, uh, you know, uh, a lot of friends, I'll scratch my back, you scratch my back. Uh, but to your point, is it truly helping us at the municipal grassroots level? Uh, because as we all know, I've said it a thousand times, there's politics behind the politics and there's conversations going on and they are happening with, with uh, your, your friends at other levels of government uh, down the road to push something through or to block something, whatever the case might be. Uh, yeah, it, 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 it's a real shame how our, our uh, society has changed when it comes to the appreciation and the respect of, of politicians and, and the system that we should be going through. It's It's just one big chaotic, I'll say crap show. How about Mm, that? (laughs) There you go. This week and for many weeks now, uh, questions about privatization of the healthcare system. Uh, Jagmeet Singh has been railing against any suggestion that we even consider it. Should private healthcare at this time when we have so many problems seemingly with our system, should private healthcare 
be an automatic line in the sand, no cross, no consideration kind of thing? Or should we at this point be open to looking, I'm not saying going, but looking at anything to see how it might help? I don't think you you should ever completely close the door. Now you're asking someone who has, you know, never truly been in the world uh, uh, of healthcare and has to go through those, uh, deal with those conditions, so on and so forth. I will say, you know, just a few days ago, you know, I had to go to a doctor hospital and it was, it was very nice to be able just to show my health card, uh, go in, get done what I needed done and, and to kind of go on or go on with the next steps. Uh, you know, you start to go down that really slippery slope when you get into the private health care and, and, you know, with so much going on with poverty and inflation, you know, will this only hurt us as we continue to move forward because people won't be able to get the necessary care that they need simply because their pockets aren't deep enough. Uh, I would like to think that there is some sort of uh, you said I'll draw a line in the sand. I would like to think that there is some sort of way that governments can get together with the healthcare workers and, and come up with something that makes sense f- for everybody. I know that's a big wish and people are listening going, Mike, you don't know what you're talking about. Stop talking. But I would like to, th- I don't think you can close the door completely on it at this point. Yeah. See, this, this to me is, is the problem with the discussion right now is regardless of what you think about off the top, uh, automatically, what your initial response to the idea of private health care is. I don't know that at this point we should be turning our back on anything and saying, no, I absolutely, under no circumstances, can even entertain the conversation. I think that's a huge mistake to say that we can't even have the talk. I'm not saying we have to go down that path. But I think we would be crazy to say, I refuse to even allow that to happen because someone may come up with a really brilliant idea. Someone might not too, but someone might come up with a brilliant idea that if we don't have this conversation, we're not, we're not aware of it. Well, conversation creates new ideas and, you know. I've always managed and, and held meetings where no idea is a, is a bad idea. And, and, and can we spin off of that, uh, what was put up on the whiteboard? And, and can we build off of that? And, you know, I, again, so no, don't close the door completely. Uh, I also understand and appreciate you don't want to have too many hands in the cookie jar. But, you know, to be able to have conversations and I don't know do you make it a referendum thing do you do you do you do your surveys and figure out where things are kind of going or at the end of the day does it just come down to we just want as much money as we can in our own pockets that's not a way to go because that's not going to help you me your kids my kids down the road by any means conversations uh, and I mean conver- I mean I mean conversation I don't mean yelling and screaming and throwing people under the bus over social media have some conversations and, and truly be open and honest with each other and try, try to put all your egos aside. What is best for our current state and, you know, moving forward as our kids and our grandkids start to get older? Yeah, I, I, as I say, I, I, anytime we get someone, anybody, any group screaming that you cannot go down this path, you can't even begin to look at this, I think, okay, what are we afraid of maybe finding out? And if we're afraid 
of finding out that maybe there's a way to incorporate private care into our system and still make it work. If we're afraid of that. People are always afraid of the unknown. There's no doubt about it. And when you put things in place, you should always try to have the understanding of where do we need to tweak it? And sometimes you put an idea out there that you think is going to be great. And sometimes you just have to, you have to squash and say, we tried, but I also appreciate that there's millions upon millions upon millions of dollars also at stake at this for, for various people. Well, probably, probably a, a percentage of, 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 of the rich and doesn't, you know, it's going to affect you and I a lot more in the pocketbook while everyone else is kind of making money. Uh, but as we continue to move on, you know, we're dealing and we're seeing a lot more issues with people. Uh, and, and it's, it's going to be scary in another 20, 25 years, I think, if we don't kind of turn this around somehow and figure things out a little bit more. And I'm sure, you know, why always have to come up with it on your own? Are there other countries that are doing something that are similar, that really works? Go over to Norway, Sweden, you know, they seem to have a bunch of things figured out. What, what's their healthcare system like? I don't uh-huh. know. So don't yell at me over there if you listen. No, to but me. it's 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 a it's a it's a good point. Is what are the what are other places doing? And we and I don't think we should be scared of looking. I mean, you if you go around if you're buying a house, you probably don't buy the very first place you look at, or you don't say I will only look at a place that guaranteed I will buy. You look at a variety of things to see, hey, does this work for me? Does this not work for me? What do I like about this? What do I not look about, like about this? You don't automatically say, ah, you know what? If this is not something that I will buy tomorrow, I cannot look at this. It's terrifying to look at this. So, yeah, and, you know, I, I love your analogy there. One thing, you know, my real estate agent talked to my wife and I about many years ago when we were looking for a house. You know, don't necessarily worry about what it what it overall looks like because it's amazing what some paint and a little bit of rentals can do, and that can be the same with with a healthcare system. Look, we've been doing it this way for so long; it needs to be tweaked, it needs to be changed. Don't be afraid, and that's the thing. We're as a society, we're completely afraid of change because we don't know. We everyone wants to be liked, and we don't want to upset anybody, so on and so forth. Uh, and and I think that really plays into how some decisions, unfortunately. Uh, are or aren't made. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. All right, Mike Fortune, uh, this week we learned that, uh, and this year is unusual because of the number of unbelievable possible candidates there could have been, but we learned that the three finalists for this year, for well, for 2022, for the local, the Golden Horseshoe Athlete of the Year, the, uh, that is the best athlete from Hamilton or Burlington. Three choices. Sarah Nurse, who, uh, Olympic women's hockey player, set an Olympic record, 18 points in seven games, cover of EA Sports, unbelievable year, won a world championship as well. Shea Gilgis-Alexander, one of the very best players in the NBA in the world, one of the very best basketball players in the world, or Milan Borjan, who was the goalie for Canada's World Cup soccer team, first time back to the World Cup in 36 years, in large part because of some of the saves that he made in qualifying, Hamilton guy. This, to me, is the hardest choice this has ever had in the 27 years that this award has been given out. Who would you choose out of those three as the top athlete of the year from this area? 
So just a little sidebar to that. That event is going to be held February the 23rd, the CYO dinner at Carmen's. Yours truly, Mike Fortune, I will be emceeing and oh, hosting Oh, very that. nice. Okay, I didn't know that. Good. Okay, good. The, uh, the script and agenda has already been sent my way. I, I don't see the list of winners. However, with of those three, I would have to put my vote towards Sarah Nurse and what she has done in 2022 and how she has really continued the momentum of putting women's hockey uh, on the map. Now, am I a little biased because I like hockey a little bit more than soccer? Uh, by all means, uh, I got to meet Sarah a few times uh, back in 2022. I got to know her as an individual. And there's just, uh, I, I think Sarah uh, will, will really help the movement, of, continue to help the movement of hockey. And I, I think she, she would be my winner, Scott. I got to say, before I say who sh- who I think should win, uh, just to explain what a year this area had for sports. We've got these three. So Sarah Nurse, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, Milan Borjan, all, all, as I wrote this week, who I believe equally could win and there would absolutely be no wrong answer to that one. Mm-hmm. It is almost impossible to win a tournament on the PGA Tour. I mean, it's one of the rarest things that any athlete, any golfer, I mean, there are golfers who have played on the PGA Tour for years, never won an event. Mackenzie Hughes won a tournament last year, and he doesn't even make the final three. Uh, there is a woman from Hamilton, and I will think of her name in just a second because I'm drawing a complete blank, who won her age group for the Ironman Triathlon in Hawaii at the at the World's Championship. The I mean, the the most grueling event you can find, not even in the final three. There are others that you could have put there. I mean, it was an unbelievable year for local athletes. Um, you know, Hamilton, it, it's amazing how we have become more and more of a hotbed uh, of athletics and, and truly opportunity. And I know a lot of this starts, you know, at that high school level. And, and you know, and, and then you utilize and you market yourself. And social media definitely helps with that as well. Uh, but to be able to have the skill, the talent, the discipline to continue to take it to that next level, I agree with you. Uh, it, difficult that they, they should all be getting some participation medal, but at the end of the day, we, that's a whole other topic. They're all they're all winners, and they've they've all done something to help improve their sport, uh, to give back to their community. Um, yeah, it's 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 something else to be part of nowadays uh, here in this great city. That's for sure. Yeah, I I mean I have a very I, I don't. As I say, I think anyone could win and you could defend the decision for any one of them. I, I have a hard time going against Shea Gilgis-Alexander, even though he won it just a couple of years ago. At the time that this expired, so this was only for 2022, so you got to take it only up to that point. At the time that this time frame expired, he was the third leading scorer in the NBA. Mm-hmm. And I just, I, I can't, um, it, it's hard to overlook the level of competition and what he's doing and, you know, for a guy that was sort of an oversight for a long, long time, um, that he's become arguably one of the, well, not arguably, one of the greatest basketball players in the world. I, I um, that would be probably where my selection would go. But again, if you, if you told me it was Milan Borjan, um, mm-hmm. considering, you know, if we remember the games that he played qualifying Canada for the World Cup and some of the saves he made that won them games, I would have no problem with that. And if it's Sarah Nurse, 18 points in seven games in the Olympics, a gold medal, a world championship, a bunch of other stuff, 
I would have no problem with that either. It is. Yeah, uh, and I don't know how the judges go about it. I don't know what the 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 overall criteria is that they do have to follow. Uh, tough job. Wouldn't want to be the judge, that's for sure. Um, but again, the, the fact that we do get together on a yearly basis, and John Spatazzo at the CYO and, and his team and Mel Leggett, um, you know, continue to to bring people together, to bring athletes together at the grassroots level to support this. Because you know what, on the 23rd, we might have a future Shea Gilgis Alexander in that room, or a future Kia or Sarah Nurse in that room. And I think that's really exciting and gives so many kids that, that, hey, you know what? I'm in Hamilton, but man, there's lots of opportunity. I can, I can still do this. All right. Speaking of awards, let's switch a little bit because um, we have the Grammy, uh, we have the Oscars coming up in a few weeks. Uh, ratings for the Academy Awards have been tanking more and more each year. We have the we just had the Grammy Awards, which, quite frankly, I didn't watch any. I saw some some of the lowlights, and uh, you know, was just totally unimpressed with almost any part of this. Ratings were actually up a little bit for the Grammys this year compared to the last few years. That, though, probably not difficult since the total viewership, I think, last year for the Grammys was about seven people. Um, <laughs> are award shows done? Are, are, are people just done with watching award shows? I know I haven't watched a full award show in many, many years. Depending on who the host is, I might watch the opening monologue. Ricky Gervais. That's the only one I'll watch. There you go. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you, and I, I honestly have trouble keeping track of what awards is for what category or, or movies, music. I, you know, I, I don't follow that side of it. Uh, politics has really come into it. Uh, personal views have really come into it. You know, people utilize this as platforms and it's taking away from what entertainment is supposed to be about. It's supposed to take you away from reality and, and let you enjoy an hour or two of just, ah, I don't have to worry about what's going on in the world and the news. And now so many entertainers, uh, you know, they, they all want to have a voice and hey, that's cool. Um, but uh, w when it gets to that level, I have no interest in that. I, I, I truly and. For a lot of these Grammys or Oscars, like, I don't even know half these songs anymore. I don't know what half the movies are. I've never heard of them, all the independent films. I have no clue. Uh, so, it, it, and let's face it, it it's also for, for you know, to publicize themselves and new albums and all that. It's a huge, I'm assuming it's a moneymaker for the Academy and for the Oscars and all that as well. Uh, it's an opportunity just to, you know, walk the red carpet and showcase. It doesn't I, I, do anything for me. If they were to never have another... Uh, award ceremony, Scotty, I would be fine with it. I See, I think you hit the nail on the head with, I don't care if I've not seen the movies per se. I mean, it is helpful for sure to be familiar with the movies. I don't care that I've not heard all the songs. Um, I'm never going to know all the songs because keep in mind, the Grammys like everything else. I mean, they have things in polka categories, honestly, and they have classical music and spoken word and all these. I, I, I'm never going to know and be familiar with all of them. So that's not the issue either. I think the politics in these award shows has ruined it because you've got half of the country in Canada and the States that just tune out when they start, when the, when the winners or the hosts or whomever else or the acts, when they start preaching their politics, you have immediately cut off and made half of the country disinterested. 
And I think it's been a terrible mistake, a terrible move. You know, you like to think that the people in entertainment, in the entertainment industry are pretty savvy about entertainment and drawing an audience. I think they have proven to be some very stupid people because you immediately make half the country turn the channel every time. Yeah, it's it's surprising. I'm going to throw an Elvis reference in here. Um, Elvis was asked uh, at one point during a press conference, and I can't quote it exactly, but, you know, what are your political views? And Elvis just looked at the reporter and just said, look, I'm an entertainer. That's all I want to, that's all I want to do right now. He was asked about uh, Vietnam. He was asked about Vietnam in that yeah. question. And, and I, I will, I will let others, I, I'm just an entertainer. Uh, Jordan even made a comment, uh, to, to, to back a, a, a politician back in the day. And I forget what it was. He goes, well, Republicans buy shoes too. Yep. And that was it. And, and, you know, I have no problem with athletes or entertainers not having to express their views. And again, because they are idolized and they got, you know, 8 billion followers, everyone's like, well, what is he going to say? Because if he says it, I'll just go with with what he says or she says, and then I don't have to think about it too much. And and that's a real shame, I think. Well, there was that. And and again, I didn't watch the Grammys, but I did, um, I did see some clips from it. And the other part of this is, you, there was a, a, a performance by, uh, what's his name? Sam Smith. And I don't know if people saw this performance by Sam Smith. Some people are going to say that I'm being prudish. Um, you, when you have a, 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 an act and in a performance where basically you are dressed like Satan and you've got flames and you've got it, like, you've got to know, especially in the States that there are people who take their beliefs seriously and they are looking at this saying, I'm not only checked out of this award show, I'm never tuning into this again because I don't, this is not of interest to me. This is not what I want to be watching. I just, I find it so difficult to believe that the people who are in charge of entertainment, whose entire job it is to gather an audience truly believe that the most divisive thing you can possibly do is going to work for you. That just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, but and, and I, I understand what you're saying, but here we are uh, a week or so later, we're talking about it. So sometimes I think producers and all that, they put these things in knowing that there's going to be a shock value, knowing that people are going to be talking about it, and it's something that they can utilize going into next year's show or, or whatever the case yeah. might be. And listen, I appreciate that an artist, you know, that they, they, they're entertainers and they want to express themselves. Uh, and there are there's a huge number of Sam Smith's followers, and they probably absolutely loved it. Maybe he hopes he gets a few more fans out of it. I don't know. You and me, we're at a different point in our life and a different age where it's just like, really? Couldn't care less. Mm. It's, uh, it is a, it, as I say, it is a weird one and it's, it's something that I just, um, mm, I, I don't, you, when people make art, that's fine. Uh, I understand that not all art appeals to all people, but this kind of thing seems to me to be something that you are trying to drive an audience. And, uh, I think... What they've done with a lot of these, with the Oscars too, when people get up there and just immediately become political, you're driving an audience, uh, just you're driving it away. 
and the yeah, only you, people you, listening we are Scotty but uh, listen th- those are the choices and decisions yep, yep. that the entertainer wants to make uh, they know where they're they're sitting and, and hey listen the fact that they can get up there and feel good about it and and it doesn't affect how they go to bed that night and put their head on the pillow hey God bless them there you go um, but uh, it, again it's really dictating how our world thinks or doesn't think for that matter and, and reacts to to uh, what social media and what, what stars put out there nowadays. Mike, <laughs> there's a very interesting um, suggestion by a politician in the States, uh, a uh, congressman from uh, Montana, um, from Missouri, pardon me. He wants to create a legal age to be allowed onto social media. That you cannot go on social media until you get like voting age or driving age or whatever else. That you have to be a certain age to participate in social media. Would you be for that? Yes. But without knowing any more uh, real detail and such, uh, yes, I, I would be open to having that discussion uh, and, and seeing what options are available and maybe there are some some reasons why you know if it's 18 and over you 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 can go on before type thing uh being on social media it, it takes it takes a lot of maturity and it takes a lot of 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 skills and development that they don't have at this point and uh i would definitely be open to having that discussion i know it would get a lot of pushback i know probably nothing would get pushed through and it won't happen uh, because that's their core audience is probably the under 18 group. But I, I think it's, it doesn't hurt to have that conversation, Scotty. Yeah, I, 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 I think some people are going to look at this and say, this is ludicrous. This is outrageous. This mm-hmm. is, I don't think so. I, I would be in the same way that, okay, so I understand that now once upon a time we had restricted movies and you had to be 18 to get into the theater. And technically we still have movies that are rated R, but you know, it's on Netflix now. So mum or dad can let you watch or you can click on it if you want, but it's still, theoretically to go to a theater that has a restricted movie, I think you would still have to be 18. I think. I'm not sure if anybody is ever going to enforce that or not. But in the past, we have had, and we do, as I say, for voting, for driving, for crimes, for other things, we have some things that require you to be a certain age, presumably, ostensibly for your own good. The whole idea is it's for your good. And if we have all these psychologists and psychiatrists and sociologists and everyone else saying social media can be a disaster for kids, not all kids, but for a lot of kids, how is that different from all these other things, drinking, other things? How is this different from all those other things that we have chosen an age and say, until you're this age, it's not good for you? There, there, there isn't a difference, whether it be uh, drugs, cigarettes, alcohol, gambling. Um, uh, the Internet and social media is an addiction. And like, like those other uh, three or four that I, I mentioned, social media does everything they can to ensure that your eyes never leave the screen, uh, which is very, very hurtful. 
So, you know, again, and I, I think you can, I don't know how prominent it is now. I, I guess I've been to some websites recently, you know, you, yeah, there is a little button. Well, you got to be 18 or older to, to go on this, or you've, you've created a username and account and you've put your birth date for whatever year you are. So there's ways to get around it, but are there, are there other ways that we can enforce it? Who truly knows? Do the tech companies, do the Elon Musks of the world want to to cap that off? Uh, probably not, because all they're looking at is their millions or billions of dollars um, from advertisers and such. And like I said, that, I don't know, five or maybe eight, eight to 18, I think is a key demographic uh, for them. Yeah, I, I as I said, I, this we were talking last hour about the idea of should we be having the discussion about privatized healthcare, and the and when you and I were chatting, it was not should we have privatized healthcare. It's should we be talking about whether there's a good reason for this or a good idea behind it. And in this particular case, I would one thousand percent be on board with having discussions about whether it's a good thing to possibly make it be a certain age before you get access to social media. Now, understanding that in this, in 2023, when kids have phones and mom and dad still could override this and give their kids their phone, I mean, there's no way to guarantee that this could be utilized. But yeah, there, but Scott, there's, you know, back in the day, there's nothing stopping someone from purchasing an underager a pack of cigarettes that's or, right. or a bottle that's right. of booze. That's right. So it's, I'm saying there's no way to guarantee that a kid is not going to get this if mom or dad want to give their kid the phone or whatever else. There's no way to ensure that this would be impactful. But if you were to say that a lot of parents probably do have concerns and this would give them an opportunity to do something about it. Yes, I think that at that point, yes, I think that it's something we should consider. And I, I, I think that kids would go crazy. They would be outraged at this. But I don't think it's about them necessarily. If, if there is evidence, and I think that we've seen some, if there's evidence that social media can be damaging, I think it should be a discussion. So I think we've seen more than some. I, 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 I think researchers and psychologists have oodles and oodles and oodles and oodles of, of of pages, mind you, the thing is, you have to go online to read it all, probably. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Um, but yes, have the discussion. Yes, you're going to upset some people, um, but if it's for the the betterment of our society and raising kids who are m- more well-rounded and are were brought up in a world, you know, a little bit similar to what you and I had, you know, where it wasn't about the screen time and all that, uh, you know, we might realize some more things about ourselves and and, and the kids. It, it's a real shame that parents also use social media and screens as the babysitter so they don't have to parent. And that gets into a whole nother discussion of, of, of how our society is going as well. Mike, this, um, thought we would leave the craziest story of the week to the end here. This story is so bonkers and yet somehow I find myself not quite as shocked as I probably should be by this, and I don't know why. There is a proposal in Massachusetts that would allow prisoners to buy lenience in their sentencing 
if they donate organs or bone marrow to sick people. If you're a prisoner who is locked up somewhere and you want to take a few years off your sentence, if you're willing to donate one of your essential organs or some bone marrow to a sick person to help them out, they will give you quid pro quo. What do you think about this idea? Wow, got to wrap my head around that one for half a second here. Um, I'm sure there would have to be some criteria. You're not going to allow a mass murderer to, to... to, to get out, I assume. No, but what um, if it's a what if it's a person who is a murderer who's got life in prison, but they could get maybe some some ben- not benefits, some you know some privileges in prison that they might not otherwise have if they could save some lives. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yet, how how do you feel if you are the that's you know, if, yeah? If you've, you've killed someone, but yep. now you have a chance to save someone's life. How are you, how is the parents or the family of the person of the victim going to feel that oh well now he's going to get a, a few extra privileges that's a tough one man. that is uh, oh look you you've hit the nail on the head a hundred percent if you're the family of the victim you don't want this person no. getting any th- benefit at the same time and I've not been in the position to be the family of a victim so I'm. I'm not in a position to speak to this, but at the same time, I bet you that there might be some people, some people in that category who would say, you know, this is a terrible situation. My family member is gone. Nothing I can do about that. This person is rotting in prison where they should be. Maybe we could turn this to something sort of positive if we could save the life of a cancer victim or something like that. Maybe. I don't know. It's but it is it is truly one of the most head scratching, difficult ones to try and figure out. I, I, I something I had never never thought of, and the, the the moral road that you start to go down, and 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 how would you feel knowing that you have uh, potentially some uh, a kidney from a from a convicted killer who's spending life in jail out in Texas or something. But yet you have your life back. I was going to say, do you care? You know what? That's a great question to have around your next family gathering at Easter or something, Scott. Yeah, because, okay, and again, same thing. You're very much right about do you want an organ from someone who is a bad, bad, evil person. At the same time, if it's a choice between that and being dead, do you say, ah, you know what? Their organ, their kidney was not what made them do what they did. So it's not like their kidney drove them to an evil act. I don't know though. Like Mm. let's say, let's say, let's bring this home for a second with what your point is. Okay. So if it's, if it's a, uh, a, how do I use this word? If it's a nondescript criminal, someone who got sent to prison, but most people don't know much about their behavior, you know, they're not infamous in this, in that way. It's one thing. What if you found out that I need a kidney donation or I'm going to die and the only kidney that matches is from Paul Bernardo? Oh, jeez. Why did you have to go down that Well, road? because I'm trying to find the worst case scenario. That's, that's, uh, that's what do you right do? at the top for what, sure. Yeah, but what um, do you do? So Paul Bernardo's kidney can save you. Jeez. Like this is such a, this is such an interesting idea because you've got these people, like uh, you've got these people who I think would be highly motivated to perhaps do this. 
So you've got this captive audience, quite literally a captive audience, yeah. who you could potentially save lots and lots and lots of lives, but at what cost? Let me read you. There's a guy in the States, um, the president, he's the president of the Families Against Mandatory Minimum. All right, here's what he had to say. Talk show. You, you've left me speechless here. Yeah, let's hear what this guy had to say. He reads, this is his quote, this bill reads like something from a dystopian novel. Promoting organ donation is good. Reducing excessive prison terms is good. Tying the two together is perverse. All right, that's his position mm-hmm. on this one. But again, I go back to my point. If, okay, forget it's even me. All right, forget that I need a kidney. Let's say my five-year-old needs a kidney or my child is going to die. And the kidney that could be provided comes from a convicted killer. At that point... Do I care that it's from a convicted killer? I just want my child to live. I, 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 I guess you'd, you'd have to have some very strong discussions with, with your family at a, at a moral level. Uh, I, I, I think if you are a mother of this child who, who's carried and, and, and brought someone into the world, I have a feeling, and I don't want to speak for every mother out there, I think you would do anything you could. Yeah, I think you to would. have that child with you still. And would you be willing to, as I say, if you were now, and here's where this thing becomes so complicated. You are the family's, you're the victim's family. And your initial reaction is, no, under no circumstances do I want the person who harmed my family member to get any kind of benefit. And then you see that mother with her child who could be saved if the person who harmed your family member were to give their organ and get a bit of a benefit. I, I, I do think that there would be some families that would say, I'm, it hurts me to do this, but to find some kind of positive out of a terrible situation, I'll go for that. And I, I think you, you, you hear families of victims say that from time to time. You, you look at the recent incident in the States where the parents were talking about, well, hopefully we can find something good out of this, and, the, and they forgave the officers and such. I, I, I guess it just depends on your moral high ground, where you sit, and uh, some discussions. And then I, I think internally when you get to the world of the victims and the families, you know, you'd have to look really at, at what type of extras would this prisoner potentially get, you know, maybe it's something as simple as a steak dinner, you know, once a month, Yeah. you know, maybe, maybe that would make it a little easier, you know, don't give, or maybe, you know, it's a life sentence, but we're going to knock 10 years off. Well, you know what? He's got three life sentences. So who really cares? I don't, that's, it's such a hard one, isn't it? Somebody just yeah, wrote in. I, I'm going to a volleyball tournament this weekend in Chatham, and we have a little bit of time with the parents. I'm bringing that. that it's a good one. Day. Somebody wrote in here, texted in. I don't have a name, so I can't say who said yeah. it. What if it's hereditary, the criminality or psychosis? And then they yeah, followed up by well, saying, I, mean, I think the, the some. Blood, the cells, everything kind of runs through everything. Yeah, that's yeah. a good point. And they just followed up with, I think some would rather know their child is in heaven than worry he might be affected in some way by the criminal's organs. I, 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 wow. I, don't, I don't dispute that either, though. I, I think that there is a part to that as well that could be in play, but they would presumably have a choice if... Or can you utilize all these uh, people who are incarcerated and... and Maybe it maybe it's anonymous. You you don't know where where it's coming from. 
Maybe maybe that's the way you, you go about doing it. If you can save so many lives. I, well, jeez. Way to, way to start my week. Ben gave me some great news. We were having a nice chat, and then you throw this curveball at me at 10 to 8 on a Friday, Scotty. Well, all right. Mike Fortune, well done. Thanks for doing this today, and appreciate your time tonight. Scotty, always a pleasure. Stay well, my friend. Have a great time at volleyball, and uh, let me know what the, what the people say, whether they would take a criminal's organ. I'd love to hear it. Definitely will, my friend. <laughs> The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.